Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Andrea. We are bringing you the Real Moms Real Life Podcast, your guide to self-empowerment and taking on each day as your best self. This is episode number three. After our usual segments of In the Kitchen and Movement Makeover, we will be getting into our first topic, which is intuitive eating and sustainability of healthy eating. If you would like to submit a question, head over to realmomsreallife.com. Don't forget, all the resources on this podcast are meant for information purposes only and not to be confused for medical advice or treatment. Welcome! Hello! What's going on, Andrea? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm dealing with a baby who won't sleep anymore, who was previously a great sleeper. <laughs> so, I'm just tired. So a lot of he's sleepless. Been, for the past few nights, he's just been up like every hour screaming, and I don't know. I feel like something's wrong, and I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> but Maybe he just needs to cry. I, yeah, that's kind of what I think. I know I've been just letting him cry, doing the aware parenting thing. Um it, yeah, it gets hard sometimes, so for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember, and he's seven months? Uh, eight and a eight, half now. Yeah. Eight and a half. That's right around when we really did some sleep training with my child. Yeah. Um, because that was when it was like, I really need some sleep, and none of us are getting it, so we need you to figure out how to get back to sleep on yeah. your own. <laughs> he was. <laughs> That's the whole thing. As yeah. He was, but yeah, I hear the eight-month sleep regression, but that's okay. He's 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 been taking his naps really well, so he's napping now. And the past few days, he's been taking like two two-hour naps a day. So at least, at least I have that. Yeah, you give yourself a little bit of a break. <laughs> exactly. How about you? How are things going with you? Well, I made a big faux pas today, and I tried to make gummies with pineapple. And I forgot that pineapple has an enzyme in it that breaks down gelatin. So I'm like waiting. It's been 45 minutes and they're not setting. And I was like, oh, pineapple. Oh, my gosh. So, I would have not thought of that either. <laughs> well, you know, it's too, I, I remembered as I was putting them in the fridge. And I was oh, like, well, maybe it, it wasn't entirely pineapple, so maybe they'll be okay. But I ended up just like dumping them all back into the pot and reheating it boiling it because that's what makes it so that you like destroys the enzymes yeah and then i was like because i'm not gonna waste those seven tablespoons of gelatin on on this so now they just have a little extra gelatin in them um but they are solidifying now so i'm really excited about that yeah that sounds really tasty and since we're talking about sustainability of healthy habits um our microwave broke and i know that it's controversial to use a microwave Mm -hmm. But we have found that the best way for us to keep healthy habits is to meal prep early in the week, usually on the weekend, and then we have containers. And we used to like heat them in a pan and then put them in the bowl, but then you have twice as many dishes. So if we make all the healthy food ahead of time and then we can just throw it in the microwave, it just it keeps us on tra- track. But that kind of threw us off since our microwave broke. But Oh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it, it's now sitting on the doorstep. But unfortunately, okay. it's like one of those built-in ones, so we can't just like oh, put one on. No. It has to be installed, so we'll yeah, get there. We, we had one of those growing up, and our microwave was like probably like 30 years old, and it broke, and it was like this 
super like my mom had to like redo our entire kitchen because of our microwave breaking like you know this $50 microwave that broke because like nothing would fit that it was so ghetto looking anyway I just remember that um yeah we don't use ours often but it's really nice to have when we do and ours is really old it like came with our house and Mm -hmm. like doesn't spin and it like you know boils one side of your food and leaves the other side like freezing cold like no matter how much you try and spin it but so because of that we don't use ours a whole ton but yeah. It is very nice to have. My mm-hmm. sister had gotten rid of hers completely and, like, didn't want to ha- have one in the house. And I'm like, okay, I feel like that's pushing it a little too far. <laughs> like, And, you know, and I'll I be need- honest, our first house, we didn't have one in the beginning. And we just, I don't know, I feel like there's something different when it's just two of you. There's only so many dishes you can make. But now that there's three of us, and most of us are home all day because we're, we, my husband and I both work from home. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like... Three meals a day while well, he eats like five meals a day because of the meal plan he's on. It's just too much. Our our dishwasher sure. can't handle it. Oh, I understand that for sure. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our first tip. It is in the kitchen. My tip this week is make a list and don't shop hungry. So personal experience. One, if you don't have a list, you're going to probably end up going to the store multiple times. You're not going to always get what you need and you're going to buy a bunch of things that you don't need, particularly if you're hungry. I will not let my husband shop hungry. If he's hungry, I make him eat first um, because he loves to buy food that you know looks good. And I mean, don't we all? And I think that there should be room to buy some things that maybe weren't on the list if they look good, but... It really helps us stay accountable when we make a list ahead of time, get to the grocery store. It makes our grocery bill so much better. It's those little extra snacks that always kind of add up. So when we avoid those and just stick to our list and make sure we're not hungry when we shop, that helps quite a bit. I love that tip. It's really good. And that's also why my husband does the bulk of the grocery shopping and I'm not allowed to grocery shop um, most of the time (laughs) because... Because even though we have a list, if I shop hungry, I'm like, oh, this looks really good. We should add this. And I'm like queen of doing that and just buying, like I was at Costco and I bought um, the pomegranate seeds that were like pre-packaged, which I have not had pomegranate seeds in like, I can't even tell you when. But I mean, it's like $8. I didn't even look at, or I looked at the expiration date. I just forgot we were so late into into December and realized they were like expire in like two days. I've like been eating so many pomegranate seeds. So I'm like, can't waste these. You mean <laughs> at least you, it was healthy-ish. But. Yeah, you mean you didn't want to peel it and have like the red all over your hands. Exactly. I was just like, this looks really tasty right now because I was just, I was just hungry. And so you just buy things. Um, I've definitely bought a lot worse than pomegranate seeds when I've been hungry, though. So. Yeah, the uh, like the new, like the paleo health, quote unquote, healthy, gluten free, that treat section. I just try to avoid it because there's always something new there that it's like, ooh, chocolate covered sea salt chips, coconut chips. And it's market research, right? Like you have to know what you could suggest to your clients. Exactly. So. <laughs> I love it. Yes. That's a great tip. All right. So let's move on to our movement makeover this week. All right. So my tip is all about grip strength. Okay. So I want to give a little precursor to this one. So grip strength has been linked to, well, how do we say it? I feel like 
on all the articles, it's like grip strength is linked to increased mortality. And I'm like, okay, less grip strength is linked. So I'm going to read off uh, some numbers just because it helps to have this. Um, so every five kilogram decrease in grip strength was linked to a 16% increase in death overall, 17% increase in both cardiovascular and non-cardiovascular mortality, and then also increases in risk in myocardial infarction, so heart attack and stroke. So, sorry to be super morbid, but point is, is grip strength is a really important thing to work on because it is actually a better predictor than um, blood pressure. And, you know, everyone looks at blood pressure. And I can tell you in my physical therapy practice, um, especially at one of the clinics I worked at, I had to take grip strength of a lot of people. And... Oh my gosh, it was amazing that even these men who had manual labor jobs, because I was testing them for that, um, for readiness for their jobs, I would say 95% didn't even meet the norms for their age. And I believe they are redoing or have already kind of like redone with the norms and they're a lot lower than what they were from like the previous norms, which I think were in the 90s. And so it's like something is happening that our grip strength is getting a lot worse. And um, it's a problem. And I think a huge reason is, is people just don't really use their hands as much. We don't, um, you know, hold heavy things, hang from bars and do all of that. So a lot of people hear this study and they're like, oh, cool, I'll go get a grip strengthener thingy and just like sit there at my desk and, you know, squeeze my hand up and down. And it's like, ah. So you always have to look at a study like this as it's like, it's not actually, I mean, or it's unlikely, I could say, I don't know if this has been proven. It's unlikely that it is like, oh, your hands are stronger, therefore your heart is better. It's like, no, 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 just the fact that you're using your hands to the point where your grip strength is strong shows that you're, you know, it's likely that you have been working out to the point where you're working your heart better and working your body better. So you want to build your grip strength functionally. So an awesome way to start doing that is by hanging. Um, hanging requires a ton of grip strength because you have to hold your whole body. So um, a good way to start is literally just find a bar you can hang from. It can be a pull-up bar. Um, you know, even if you have like a good ledge in your house, I know someone who hangs from their balcony, um, as a, as a way to build it, just whatever it is, you're just hanging there and figure out what you can do. So give yourself a little pretest and then go from there. So let's say hanging for 30 seconds is really, really challenging. Well, then start with 10 seconds, you know, 10 to 20 times in a row. Um, or if that's really easy, then you can progress and, you know, try maybe do a pull-up from there or hang from a minute or two or hang while doing knee raises, you know, just switch it up a little bit from there. So I personally am working on this right now because after pregnancy, my grip strength went like like really bad. <laughs> um, and I think that's just because I stopped doing CrossFit. I stopped holding heavy bars. I stopped hanging from bars um, because of my diastases. Hanging would exacerbate it. So I just stopped doing all that stuff and it really went down. So where I used to be able to do like seven pull-ups in a row, I am now working from just hanging from a bar for 10 to 30 seconds at a time. So um, it's really challenging. It's definitely something you can do every day. Um, and yeah have some fun with it. I love that. And I will say we have um, 
we have a pull-up bar in our garage that's like off the ground enough that we can do straight like hangs but we also keep one in well it was in the walkway of that we had to enter every time we go through our house because it just goes right in the doorway and I there's so many just doorway hanging ones that it makes it really easy especially if it's like I walk by this 15 times a day if you hang for 10 seconds 15 times a day that can make such a big difference. And I think the important part about hanging is that you're activating so many more muscles than just your hands. You've got your arms, you've got your shoulders, you've got your core, kind of everything's really activating. And if I remember correctly, you have a great video and we can probably post that in the show notes so that people can take a look and see um, about form and um, making sure that they're not just slouching into it and they're actually activating everything that they're supposed to be. Yes, that would be perfect. Yeah, because that's so important. You just want to—you don't want to be just like hanging and feeling like your shoulders are gonna, you know, dislocate off your body. Right, <laughs> that's, right. That's not good. Then. And so, I yeah. would say too, if if you're having a hard time just doing a full body weight hang in the beginning, I would say, and I, you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this, but using a chair to support your weight and doing, you know, to gradually decrease the amount of weight that you're using if or that you're giving yourself support with before you oh. do a full body hang. Any Absolutely. any little bit is is beneficial. And you can even use that. So let's say you can hang but you can't um like if you watch the video you'll see what I'm talking about but you can you can't like activate through your shoulder so you feel like okay I can hold it here but like I have nothing for my shoulders um when I actually for, like to, to almost make sure that I'm activating as much as I can I'll be standing on a box I activate my shoulders and then slowly take my weight off and make sure I don't like drop anymore mm-hmm. through my shoulders um and so that would be a really good way so it's like you can unweight yourself Right when you feel like, okay, this is this is my uh, point where I'm going to lose it through my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense over podcast. <laughs> that's why I figured we'll post the video. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that's awesome. We are going to move on to our topic for this week. We're going to first start talking about intuitive eating. So, Andrea, would you like to tell us what what you think about intuitive eating? Yeah. First thing I want to clarify is I do think that there is like an actual, I don't know if it's branded, but I think there's something like there's like an intuitive eating book and they have their principles and um, I don't, I don't really know. I haven't read the book. Um, I feel like I've gone over their principles and it looks good, but this is like, I guess, separate from that. So when we're talking about intuitive eating. It's just, you know, eating intuitively, not this branded thing. If you, I don't know if you've heard of that, Beth, if you know what I'm talking about. I don't, but I always love disclaimers. They, they cover our asses a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're just talking about the two words that happen to go next to each other. Um, so um, when I think about intuitive eating, it's, it's all about listening to your body and understanding what it wants. But a whole lot more, I think when people hear that, they immediately jump to, well, my body wants a donut right now, or my body wants this, you know? And so it's a lot more than that because it's not just about what does my body, what is my body craving? It's understanding why it's craving it. Um, In fulfilling a craving or eating something, it's understanding how that food makes you feel, how it affects your body afterwards, and not just immediately after, but it might be even hours and days afterwards, or even like the culmination of your overall eating, how it's affecting your body. So, I mean, it's a really a mindful way of eating. So, 
eating in a way that you are very aware of what you're putting in your body and how it is affecting you. It would be how I look at it as a whole. Do you have anything to add to that part of it? No, I think that's um I think that's great. I think that's a great definition. Do you want to talk about how you how you eat intuitively and then I can talk about how I eat intuitively? Yeah. So, one, I don't always eat intuitively. <laughs> and when I don't, I notice that I'm not. And <laughs> I think that in itself maybe that counts as intuitive eating, right? Um so and the only reason I preface that is cuz I notice such a huge difference of when I am and when I'm not. And so when I am intuitively eating, I'm really taking that step back and being like, okay, am I actually hungry right now? And so let's say we're serving dinner. And really when it comes to our meal times, majority of the time, I don't really have that many, I don't really have that much flexibility of when I'm going to eat. So um, if we're going to eat dinner and it's like, I'm not that hungry, then it's okay. I do know I need to eat now because I have to go to bed soon, but I'm just going to serve myself less food. I'm going to really take the time to chew it, to taste it and to enjoy it uh, versus scarfing it down while, you know, watching TV or trying to do 86 other things. And then afterwards, I find myself after dinner a lot of times craving something like sweet. And so it's for me when I'm intuitively eating, I will, first of all, wait to eat something rather than just going straight to the pantry and being like, okay, I want something sweet. Let me, you know, oh, that's what my body wants. Let me eat that. It's like, no, no, no. Like first let me let my body digest. So I try to wait at least 15 to 20 minutes, um, making sure I have enough water. So about 15 or 20 minutes later, it's kind of rechecking in with my body. Like, okay, you, you're still wanting something. What is that? And that might be water. Um, and then it might be checking in with emotions of, am I stressed and I want sugar to help, you know, calm down that stress system? Or am I kind of overwhelmed would be a feeling that I get a lot? Or am I procrastinating? Like, why am I really wanting to eat? And just really checking in with myself. And um, And then after, you know, like even like days later, let's say I've eaten something differently or we have a new meal or I'm trying, you know, something new out for breakfast, you know, it's checking in with my energy levels throughout the day. Like, oh, how did that affect me? Like, am I able to make it to lunch without needing to snack? Um, you know, was I able to get through my workout and feel strong? Whatever it could be, um, just kind of this constant checking in with myself. I love that. So I also love that we both take slightly different approaches to intuitive eating. While I definitely really have been focusing on how foods make me feel, if they make me feel good or don't make me feel good, I think of intuitive eating a little bit more based on some of my cravings. Like, yes, sometimes I crave sugar, but I think about, well, am I craving sugar or am I craving carbs? So if it's sugar, it's probably carbs. So then I decide what kind of carbs am I going to eat? Am I going to have fruit? Or do I need something more like potatoes or something along those lines? The same kind of thing if I am eating some, if craving something salty. I, I decide what, if this is what I'm craving, I'm going to eat something to satisfy those cravings. But I'm going to choose something possibly healthier. If I'm craving chocolate, well, I check my magnesium level and I eat a little bit of dark chocolate. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. 
Um, and lately I've just been craving fruit. I feel like this cold and flu season's really getting to me and I think my body needs that vitamin C. So I've been listening to that craving and, and eating those kinds of foods. I do have things that I kind of avoid completely at the moment and that's just what I found kind of works for me and avoiding gluten completely it has worked for me. I limit my grains but I do eat rice from time to time. And then dairy, I try to stick with goat dairy if I do have it. And it's usually only on a kind of special occasion thing. Like family events this weekend, um, we did brunch. And brunch is a really tough, a tough meal for me because I don't, I don't really eat eggs and I don't eat dairy and I don't eat grains. So my, the rest of my family that eats all of that, it's like, well, what are you going to eat, Beth? And usually I eat like sausage and vegetables for breakfast. So... I did have eggs that had some cheese on them, and, and it was fine because one day of it is not going to make or break anything. But I, I took me a while to sort of figure out how foods made me feel, and I couldn't really figure it out until I took some out and then kind of started to add that, them back in. And I would th- say the most interesting experience I had with it is I was working with a naturopath, and that was when I kind of first cut out eggs and realized that eggs definitely caused sort of an inflammation reaction for me. So I was trying to play around with what I should have for breakfast. So I had a smoothie for breakfast one day. It had kale in it and banana and mango and a cut and coconut milk and protein powder. So in general, when you look at it, it's like, well, it's got carbs, it's got fat, and it's got protein. So I would think that it would be a complete meal. But within an hour, I was exhausted, just utterly wiped out. So I talked to, and there was a day I saw the doctor and he was like, well, it could have been a reaction to the mango or the banana or something in there. So try it again and take out an ingredient and see if you feel the same. And for me, it was like, it's not worth it to play around with it to see what ingredient didn't go well. Um, I just don't have smoothies for breakfast anymore. We did get a question about intuitive eating, and um, someone asked, I am worried if I eat intuitively, my body will just keep telling me that I need sugar, and I'll gain 30 pounds. Um, I would love to kind of touch base on that. First, if that's okay, I am going to talk about really, like I said, if your body's craving sugar, think about how you can give yourself that sugar. It doesn't need to be chocolate and sweets and that kind of thing. I think that we will probably be having an episode on blood sugar regulation and how to kind of battle sugar and sugar cravings and things like that because you really can't eat intuitively until you get your sugar control underway. So I really think that that's going to be the the biggest battle that you have to fight first. And maybe maybe even next week we'll have an episode on, on blood sugar regulation and how to kind of manage that and get that a little bit more underway so that you're able to then trust your cravings a little bit more or trust your, really it's not your, your cravings, but it's trusting your intuition a little bit more. Do you have anything to add, Andrea? Uh, yeah, and hopefully um, you guys can hear me okay. I had to take off my uh, headset since my baby is now on me, and he just thought it looked like a really fun toy. So, <laughs> great. Um, so I think one of one thing about intuitive eating, part of it is knowing when you can and can't almost trust your cravings. 
And, um, and that takes time to learn. Like you said, Beth, I mean, it took time to go through things and figure out like what worked for you and what didn't. And it, I feel like it's always a process and always learning. And so with the, you know, person who's concerned about it, a big thing is, is okay. So let's say your body is craving sugar and you eat sugar. Let's say like, like Beth said in the healthy form, so you up your carbs, how then does your body feel after that? So let's say this particular client, um, she has been eating really low. So I happen to know who this person is. So let's say she's been eating really low carb and she ups her healthy carbs because she's craving this sugar, um, even though she's worried about this weight gain and she ups her carbs and feels like amazing. Her energy levels go up, her workouts get better. She feels stronger and in turn, her meals, you know, as a whole get more regulated, like her cravings actually go down overall, then that's exactly what her body needed. But let's say she eats carbs and, you know, again, the healthy form, sweet potatoes and things, and her energy crashes. She notices dips during the day, her workouts, you know, she notices she's crashing halfway through her workouts and her sugar cravings are going up even more. And, you know, now after dinner, she wants ice cream and she's just fighting more, more cravings throughout the day. Well, that might be a sign that maybe, you know, the sugar craving was something else. It could be physiological. Like if you have, you know, a gut microbe imbalance, like candida, um, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, those little buggies in you are just, uh, are causing you to crave sugar. And then that's something we don't necessarily want to listen to, or we want to understand and, you know, learn how to then get rid of that. Um, or if it's an emotional thing, so it could be that she is craving or, you know, anybody is craving, um, some connection. Uh, maybe there's something that's going on in life that is just unfulfilled. And so sugar is a really good way to, to meet that fulfillment very temporarily. So usually in terms of, you know, being worried about gaining weight, if you're listening to yourself, you're, you're monitoring that. If that's something you're worried about, you're going to be looking at that. You're not just going to gain 30 pounds overnight. Um, so if you start to see the scale creeping up and, or your clothes aren't fitting as well, then that's something that if you're eating intuitively, you would then check back in on. So in intuitive eating, you almost can never gain 30 pounds without, noticing it because you'd be constantly checking back in with yourself and with your body and you would catch that well before it ever got out of control if that makes sense yeah that's incredibly helpful i would like to kind of combine our last part of this with our me time segment and talk about kind of sustainability of habits and how how we both you know maintain habits that we're comfortable with and and our habits aren't going to necessarily be habits that are good for everyone else it's what kind of you kind of can stress the least amount about and makes you feel the best is kind of how I feel as a healthy habit it doesn't have anything to do with what I'm eating or what I'm not eating it's you know there's a certain point where it's I'm not thinking about it too much that it's making me crazy and it's a habit that I can can sustain. So how how do you achieve that, Andrea? Um, I think there's a bunch of little things that I do throughout the day. I mean, one thing is, is if I'm going into the clinic and at work, I make sure my lunch for that day is something super healthy. And usually it's 
you know, what we had for dinner last night and a combination of vegetables, just because I know, and this is my personality, like when I'm at work, I really can't go. I have to pump. So it's like I'm tied to my desk. I have no option of what to eat other than what I brought that day. So I'll eat whatever I bring. So that's kind of where I try to pack in my vegetables because it's easy to get in. I'll eat them and I don't have to, I can't second guess it. So that's one thing I do. Um, Another thing I do is I find meals that work and I just don't stress about finding new meals constantly. You know, my husband and I will make a meal. Like right now, our big kick is some ground beef combination in sweet potatoes. Like, you know, just making sweet potatoes and dumping it over there. And you know what? We'll probably do that for the next few weeks. I don't know. We could do that for the next three months. Who knows? It's like until we get sick of it and then we'll find something else, you know? (laughs) And it's probably going to be something we eat two to three nights a week for however long. And it's not this like... Um, I don't know, like stress to be like, okay, we have to find something new. We have to find something different. So I think that's a big thing is just finding what works and, and sticking with it until it doesn't work. And then you change it. How about you? We, we do that kind of same thing. We used to cook a brand new meal every night and we try all these new recipes. And then there were like, well, this doesn't make us feel good. And this doesn't make us feel good. So we found things that worked. And my husband's been rotating the same two meals for probably nearly four months now, uh, which is like chick. Well, we make, we make two proteins. We make chicken and we make chili. And then he has a variety of different carb sources and a couple of different vegetable sources. And he just mixes and matches in his container. And he'll, he's like, I'm still not sick of it. I'll admit that I got sick of it. So I switched to making soups this time of year. I was like, oh, this will be much better. So I made like a beef stew and a chicken stew, uh, chicken soup. And those will be my things for the next couple of weeks. So I feel like I need a little bit more of the variety, but meal prepping really takes takes like the bulk of my pressure off. And then making sure that I don't buy what I really don't actually want to eat. I am um, more of an abstainer. Um, I don't know if anybody knows of Gretchen Rubin, but she talks about you can either, either have to abstain completely or you might be someone that can moderate a little bit. And I'm not a moderator. I'm like... There is a box of cookies. I will have at least five because why not? They're good. They taste good. I want to eat more. I It's very hard for me to just eat one. So I just make sure that I don't buy those things. And it's not everything. It's not um, that I'm going to engorge in, in all food. But there are specific things that I know that I have trouble stopping myself with. And while I don't think it's a problem, I know that it makes me feel guilty afterwards and that triggers them more eating. So I just don't buy it. Um, occasionally I will buy, make myself some, um, I love uh, Danielle Walker's recipes and I just, I make them and I put them in the freezer. So if I have to get one, I have to go all the way down. It's the deep freezer in the basement. So I have to go all the way downstairs. I grab one and I come all the way back up. And that's a whole lot easier than like in our pantry in the kitchen. So it's really about making sure that you have the things that you want to eat on hand. And if you're not going to eat broccoli, don't buy broccoli. Choose vegetables that you like. And it's okay to have the same ones over and over again. I happen to love roasted broccoli, but I don't know. You know, there's times where the, I don't love all vegetables. They're not all the, my favorite thing in the world. Uh, and I go through phases of it. You know, it's very up and down. And I didn't eat fruit most of the summer because I wasn't really craving it. 
And now I'm eating it all the time. I kind of wish I craved it when it was in season. It's a lot cheaper then and a lot more local, but it's just, I kind of go with what my body needs and I learn to trust it and I, I just don't stress about it. Yeah, I love that. I love the not stressing about it too. I really, I don't, <laughs> Remy agrees. <laughs> just really, yeah, try not to stress about food at all. And I think sometimes um, as wives, like, and I notice this in my clients, um, I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes there's this pressure to like create this new meal every night for their family. And honestly, oh my gosh, my husband has, you said he's been eating, he's been eating the same thing for four months. My husband has been eating the same lunch, like since I met him in 2012. Okay. Like he literally just eats like chicken with salt and pepper on it. And it looks gross with, I, I mean, I think he used to eat it with rice and now he uses sweet potatoes. I, I don't even know what he eats, but literally that's like what he eats every week and does not change it. He doesn't care. Like I can make him the same meal every night and he really wouldn't care. And I mean, maybe some, you know, people's families do, but like, I realized at one point that I had this own internal, you know, stress of, oh, I need to cook something different for him when he didn't care at all. So I'm like, oh, wait, why am I putting this on myself? Because I don't care either. So, yeah, I think that's just, yeah. I don't know. My husband made dinner for a better part of at least two years of our lives. So um, that's usually, and, and I think it's a, a season thing. Uh, when we were first together, food was part of our, our hobby. We were foodies. We used to love, we, we loved to go out to eat. We loved to try new meals because that's, I mean, especially before we even had a house, we had no responsibility but other than ourselves. So we had time to learn new meals and make a new meal every night and not to ever eat leftovers. But this is a new season and we have to adapt and or else we're not going to survive. So figuring out, okay, well, this meal doesn't work for me because I don't actually like it, but these do. So, I mean, we now buy the giant jar of salsa because if you would put salsa on anything, it just tastes better. I love that. And I love, I feel like what you're saying about like the new season really sums up a lot of intuitive eating too, in that you're not going to find one plan that works for you for the rest of your life. Like yeah. end of story. It just doesn't exist. There isn't one meal plan that you can just follow for the rest of your life. There's going to be ebbs and flows in what your body needs in what works for your life. Um, and, and then just what you want. So it's like always this combination of those three things of th those three things have to work together and a lot of adaptability needs to happen. And I think intuitive eating is allowing for that. Like maybe knowing, okay, my body needs this super food juice and I feel amazing on it, but like my life doesn't even allow me to create it right now. So like, what else can I eat that nourishes it instead? You know? Um, or yeah, I, this one vegetable would be amazing for me, but I hate it. So it's like, okay, not, you know, not eating it and finding something else instead. So yeah, I think the adaptability and changing with what works is so important i agree and i think that's a wrap thank you so much for joining us today next week we will be going over blood sugar regulation and then we will continue to always take listener questions and guests please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode and write us a review 
for more from me, Beth, head on over to pizzareleats.com. For special updates that you don't get anywhere else, subscribe to my email list. You can find Andrea at www.lifelibertyhealth.com. Show notes for this episode and all podcast-related information can be found at realmomsreallife.com.